0: Welcome back to the Stephen Sully Study. I'm here on a great Sunday in Mayfair at Woodbury House Art Gallery. I've got a really good guest in front of me, Mr. Tom Hartley. Thank you very much for your time, and I'm
1: very much looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for inviting me, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't do many podcasts because um, of my commitments in the business, um, but I try to do um, what I can, and yours is certainly the one I wanted to do because you seem to be the man at the moment doing podcasts, and uh, and good on you. Thank you very much, Tom. So
0: you're a super, super driven person, excuse the pun. I've got here from the Mail Online in 2018, they said back then your net worth was, is £130 million. How accurate is that?
1: That would be very understated in today's prices. Um, They make assessments. All I can say to that question is most recently, uh, I was told by investors if I took the the funds of the brand Tom Hartley and we took it to the um, to the money market it would it would you borrowing a billion no problem at all we don't borrow you see we always reinvest and um, our profits into the business and that's what I've always done and that's what my son Carl does uh, as a family business that's what we do and now that could have a downfall on it for me because I never borrowed so for me to get where, where we are in life today singular when I was on my own before my son was a partner um it was very difficult because I, I was sort of fighting against the, the use of finance before I would borrow. But I got through it, and, and there's lots of good things to be said for that. So, um, gypsy,
0: um, struggle to read and write, let's school very, very early, dyslexia. These are all the type of things that most people wouldn't associate with someone that is worth, let's call it, 200 million, 300 million, 400 million strong.
1: Certainly <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I feel like you could, if, if it was borrowing like lots of other people doing business, it would be a billion. Yeah. So let's say that we have no finances, so it would be a billion. Okay, be a billionaire then. These titles or
0: these words are not affiliated to someone like that. So what defines you? How, how are you so successful, but then in the same breath, you know, you have admitted even on your book and loads of other podcasts that
1: reading and writing is has been a challenge in your life. I haven't got a problem with that um, because every upside has got a downside in life. So there are positives and there are negatives to whatever you talk about in life. And for, for me and for the way I was brought up, um, my family were in the carpet business in the 60s in, in Glasgow, 60s and early 70s. And I used to go about it. My dad, he, was, he, he wasn't a car dealer then, but he changed his cars a lot. And um, so you would let me go to car auctions. All my school education was done at a car, uh, car auction in Glasgow, which is quite a way to be brought up as a, as a kid. You see a lot of things you shouldn't see, a lot of things that you need to see. And um, so I, I sacrifice. You have to make some sacrifices in life. Uh, it's like a golfer. A golfer can be good at one area of his game, but other areas are a bit weak. So for me, um, spelling, I can read and I can write. Uh, spelling has not been my strongest asset, but counting most definitely is mathematics. Um,
0: the irony is, though, even having dyslexia, and so do I, by the way, and ADHD, um, you've got a book called The Dealmaker, which has been very, very successful, and I listened to it. Incredible. So you've defined the odds. You know, p- Most people say if you can't really read or write, you've got dys- dyslexia, you'll never be able to write a book. Why did you d-
1: decide to write your own book? Well, I got to the stage in life. Um, a couple of uh, motoring correspondents and a couple of uh, journalists that keep telling me that I should write a an autobiography, that was like when I was 50. I thought, you know, I feel too young to do that. And there were some things in, le- in life that I was le- I left that I wanted to do. And um, when I turned 60, I thought I'm gonna make that move and uh, and write that book. And and I never realized just how strong the brand and how famous the brand was. I knew it's very well known in the UK, but I never understood how famous the brand is worldwide, Tom Hartley. And so I sat down and we'd finished the new showroom. That we've done now in the Hartley estate at this time and I felt the business was where it needed to be as far as since my son Carl's been involved in the business it's obviously got stronger um two heads is better than one and we got it to a stage where I feel it's the stall set the brand can't be any stronger to be fair and I hope people don't listen to that and take it the wrong way uh, there's not a name in the luxury performance the classic car business stronger than the name Tom Hartley for all these reasons that we're talking about so to write an autobiography it was icing on the cake and um I sat down spent one day a week for 12 months in my boardroom up the stairs in the in the new showroom on the Hartley estate with the ghostwriter Ken Gibson ex Sunday Times ex Sun newspaper award winner uh, etc and and it's i don't know if for those of you who have not wrote an autobiography, it's a very emotional thing to do. And it learned me something about my life because until that time, and I need to listen to what I'm about to say to you, until that time, I never stopped and took reflection of the past because I was so busy in life. This is the guy who works seven days a week and I don't do it because I need to do it. I do it because I want to do it. So when I sat in that room and I started reflecting, I thought I've never been there before and went back to that time. And there were times i went back to that were very emotional and i would break down and it was it was quite a, a quite an experience and then who's wrote an autobiography if it's a true autobiography and mine has not got no bullshit in it i talk about the, the black days i talk about the sunshiny days and that's why it's so successful and and that's why i wrote the book you mentioned about reflecting
0: and becoming a bit emotional can you share some of those emotional times
1: yeah well listen i started selling cars at the age of 12. I saw the Range Rover, my first Range Rover, and and my, my parents always had belief in me. That's why I also learned as I got older, having children myself. And it's a bit of a mirror image, what I've done with my children to what, what was done with me. And they gave me the freedom. They gave me the support to go and chase the goal of the dream that I had, and that was to be buying and selling cars. And by the time I was 17, just before I was 18, now this is back in 1979, Okay. I was a millionaire. Now, I'm not racist for a second. I'm not going against racists, but unless you were an Arab or a or a, or a superstar, a film star, there weren't many 17-year-old UK-born uh, people who were millionaires. So that was quite an achievement back in that time, uh, and 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 pure million, not borrowed, not loaned, not given, a million pounds. So um, and I celebrated a big party, which was such got such attention. It was featured on BBC and ITV News uh, in Blackpool, I was at the time. And uh, the fact that this young Romany a gypsy, had become a millionaire, self-made millionaire by the age of 17 was big news back then. And as I said, it became become national uh, news on ITVN, ITV uh, station, yeah, and BBC. And um, so I was there flying. And then what happened, because I was importing Mercedes-Benz, uh, Porsche's, and bmw's mainly porsches and mercedes-benz back in that time the manufacturers got together and probably rightly so when i look at it now they say hey there's this kid out here he's earning a fortune fetching our brands in selling them to our customers for less than what we can sell them for because back then the deutschmark was 4.8 to a pound so if you get a euro for a euro you got 4.5 deutschmarks for one pound so when i was changing my currency to buy german cars they were cheaper some of them were cheaper than what they were costing the main dealers in the uk so, the carteled against me. Uh, and I, I'm an 18-year-old kid. I've got Mercedes Benz. I've got BMW. And I've got Porsche. And, and they've got problems with me importing cars to the UK. So, um, they came up with a, uh, an invention called type approval number. A type approval number is a number that one person, you're allowed to fetch one car, one person. But if you fetch more than one car, one person, if you've not got a type approval number, you can't register the car. So, what gets the car to you? So I'd already placed a big deposit in Germany for cars that were coming. And of course, I had to lose that. On top of that, at that same time, I was diagnosed with an eye problem called uh, coracoconus. And there was a chance I could have gone blind. And I'm just about to get married. So the world was really here for me. And overnight, not because I I, I, I was drunk or I was useless or I'd done a bad deal, because I had giants of manufacturers fighting against me to stop me doing what I was doing so successfully. So I lost my deposits and I lost my money. And I, and I basically lost the business. Um, my wife, who's my wife now, is my girlfriend, Priscilla. And my mother said, you know, it's more important. And my father said, more important to get your health back. You, you can do this again. And of course I did. And i done it better. And i done it with great knowledge because failure is a great thing in life. And I didn't fail. I, I got caught in a web. And, and I was the first person to be caught in that web because I was doing something that nobody else had done or knew how to do. They started catching on to it, but by the time they caught on to it, it was too late. I'd done it. So that was very emotional. When I come to that stage to tell that story. I felt had the emotions of how great it was to be there, and then how how to deal with the fall. And you know, I went to places. I went to auctions after the fall, and you could hear Chinese whispers. You could hear people talking. And you could feel it. The, the, you could feel it, and that was him. He's not. He's he's not where where he used to be. He's not who he used to be. And that's when I was eighteen. Hmm. You know, a, a million pounds back in 18, uh, in 79, Steve, was a lot of money. Massive. You, you know, massive. As I said unless you were an Arab or a prince, you didn't have UK, you didn't have any UK kids at 17 or 18 years old, had made uh, a million pounds. Yeah.
0: So building it up, losing it, and then building it back, what did you learn about yourself when you hit rock bottom?
1: Um, my belief in myself, my confidence. Because uh, if there's one thing in life, it's a great asset to have is confidence and belief in yourself. And more importantly, I had the right people behind me. My mother and father believed in me, and so did my wife. And um, I just, it was just easy. Then my wife helped me rebuild um, the empire that we have today. And it's been noted and called an empire many times over. I'm not labeling an empire. It's where it's called, the Hartley Estate. It's undoubtedly the most famous landmark for luxury performance of classic cars in the world, independently and privately owned. With me and my son Carl, so that's another point I want to make. So believing in myself, rebuilding, having confidence, doing what I'd already done. Simple Mm. as that. Mm. I'd been there. There are, and I agree
0: with you, the Tom Hartley brand is, you know, people recognize it all across the world. And it and it oozes class and it's, you know, and it's and it's reliable, and there's so many good good things about it. There are other people in the same space. Romans International, Joan Macari, I can't really pronounce his one, Bob Fulstein, Fulstein, they're on Park Lane, Amari, and there's a bunch of others. What separates you from all these other car companies?
1: Look, respect is called, uh, peers and respect is what I live for in regards to respect and others. Um, the names you've mentioned, I know a couple of them that I'd say i know them very well. The others I've never heard of, personally, excuse me for saying that, but I haven't. Um, what separates us, I think, is the dedication. I think the word dedication, um, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the other day, there's a big fuss about it. One of the guys caught me on camera mopping the toilet out in the in the showroom on the Harley estate. I'm not above doing them sort of jobs. You know, uh, this year, this year goes to bed with me, this mobile phone. Come on, I'm, sometimes I'm taking calls from the Far East for clients. I'm a person who's got a lot of energy. And I only need four hours sleep a night. I when mean, I get out of bed every morning. I get out of bed with attitude. It's my first deal. So despite my profile, I'm not a flamboyant person. I don't want a jet, which I can afford. I don't want a yacht, which I can afford. Game of golf, glass of wine, nice meal with my wife, with my family. That's fine for me. So and maintaining, it's one thing to be successful. Whatever business you're in, it's one thing to be successful for a while. But it's another thing to be successful for 50 years. And that's what I've achieved. Agreed. Um,
0: I listened to one of your other interviews and also I've listened to your book. And is it true that you went to a, the best hotel in Dubai, tried to switch off for a week and you basically had a breakdown because you just couldn't deal with re- relaxing?
1: Okay, you've just seen this morning, I'm, you've discovered I'm claustrophobic because I can't come in the lift to come down here. Yeah. So let me tell you what this mind, this mindset is for Tom Hartley. He's so focused in, and I use the word focus because it's not the key word. So focused to, um, focus and dedicated to what I do in life. So to to continue to be zooming on for business, for me to take time out, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. And it's been difficult for my wife, but she understands that. She knows the animals she married, she knows the animals she's got and we'd have a holiday and after three or four days or five days um i I get a bit fed up this particular holiday you're talking about i turned this off i'd take no calls at all as you said i was in the most famous hotel in in the one of the most famous hotels in the world in dubai and um come back after uh, two weeks of a holiday when i came back i came off had shingles i was shivering i was breaking out in sweats and I'm telling you, believe it. Whoever watches this podcast might not believe it, but the the body inside was saying, "Look, we're not used to not doing this sort of thing, lying, and relaxing, not doing work, not doing business, not thinking." And it was a reaction to my body telling me, "That's not what they're used to." And that's the truth. Your mentality to keep on pushing forward
0: r- really resonates with me. But somebody else listening into this conversation—this is not my words, but maybe speculating what someone might say—is okay. You're worth a billion quid you know you're very very successful uh you can have anything you want you could buy a private jet you could buy a yacht you could buy any car that you want you could travel uh, go all the way around the world with your family but there there's got to be some sort of sacrifice or something you've missed out what 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 is that what could that be
1: no i I, am sorry i I would i would tend to disagree with uh um, excuse me listen as i was younger i sacrificed going to the cinema my friends were going to the cinema i was jumping on the motorway a 15 year old driving cars which i I didn't do i shouldn't have done then but i did i had to break a lot of rules in my life to get where i was because i was in a hurry to get there so there but now you see i'm a great believer i'll give you an example my children were taken out of school like i was my son tom and my son carl and my daughter priscilla and my daughter stephanie mainly my two sons because they were involved in the car business and they were taught in the car business and I'm a great believer. It's a reversal role for me. I feel that sacrificing them things when you're younger, you're able to do when you get older. You know you, that that's so it's back to front for me. I sacrifice. I might have sacrificed things as a kid and as a, a teenager, but I've more than made up for them now. To have a beautiful wife, have children, have grandchildren. I still got my mother alive. Um. So no, I, I wish, I'm very happy, and I'm I'm very contented, and where the brand is and where the business is now is, you know, a couple of years ago, I was presented a quite unique situation. I was presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, there aren't any supercar dealers out there. You just mentioned a few names. There aren't any of them got a Lifetime Achievement Award. I wonder why that is. True. You know, I wonder why that is. So, and that was a big moment in my life and it was a significant moment in my life because it came along at the right time and I actually felt like it took something off my back to think, you know, you deserve this. I've given my life to the car business. I've given it as a boy, as, as a kid, sorry, as a boy, as a teenager, as a man, as a husband, as a grandfather, and I've still given it. And I give it my own, seven days a week. Now, I think that warrants a Lifetime Achievement Award. And, and it, was a great, it was a great honor, great honor. A massive achievement. I've got a quote here. Everything on the Hartley Estate is for sale apart from my wife. That's true. And the way she's operating at the minute, she might be for sale shortly, but that's the truth. Everything, when you drive in the Hartley estate, when you open them gates and you go through security, uh, for those of you who have not been there, I'm sure they've all seen videos. It's a very different experience to going somewhere else to buy a car. Gates open, you get meted and greeted, you drive down a big driveway, you park up next to the lake and a lot of the ground's behind. that have got flora and flowers uh, all over and the grass is like bowling green. And, um, And then you walk up the driveway, and you you you're muted and you're asked, do you want breakfast? Would you like lunch? Would you like dinner? Are you okay for accommodation overnight? Uh, We have a chef who stays on site. If the ladies travel and they've travelled abroad, we have a a room to have a massage with a masseuse, Uh, a cinema room to watch the video of the car you're going to buy. It's quite quite an experience. It's a bit different to walking around the corner to your showroom on the high street here.
0: Definitely. Why put all the extra? luxuries
1: on the estate why just not stick to selling the cars well that's the whole point that's what the tom hartley brand is about we're different there's nothing about us that are normal nothing what we do in life is normal and we've we've created a platform that people are now copying i have always had a problem in life with people who quote my quotes make state my words and and try to copy what i do i've always had a big problem my wife's always got hold of me and tapped me on the hand and said listen calm down it's a compliment And as I've got older, I'm realizing that's what it is. It's a compliment. Only the other evening I was watching some videos. I can't name some names. There's young kids. I call them Johnny-come-latelys, new kids on the block. And they're trying to take my video presence off in in their way. And I'm sorry, it just doesn't look the same. You know, there's nothing like the real thing. And I and we are definitely the real thing. And that's why visiting the Hartley Estate, we don't want you, even if you don't buy a car. You're not going to forget the experience you had when you come to the Hartley estate, unlike anywhere else in the UK or the world. So going back to this quote about
0: it, it, everything on the Hartley estate is for sale, apart from my wife. Um, are you telling me if someone rocked up, one of the billionaires landed on your helicopter pads in, on the Hartley estate and said, I want to buy, buy the whole estate. Would it be up for sale?
1: Um, that, you know, you put me straight on the point that there's, Maybe that's an exclusion I should make because I intend to be buried on the Hartley Estate, when I die, that's also something that's quite quite well known. It's been it's been recorded, so um, I think there's uh, with the agreement with Carl, we'll have a, a clause in there that that can't be sold. It will actually go down and down and down because my body will be there, and and hopefully my wife or other members of the family, whoever wants to be there. But I'll definitely be there. So um, that would be a reason why the Hartley Estate should never be for sale. It'd be put in a trust eventually in And it's something that uh, we'll have to address at that time. But the answer to that question, that would be an exclusion, would be the Hartley Estate. It would not be for sale. It couldn't be bought. Yeah. So uh, helicopter pad. What type of people land on that helicopter pad at the Hartley Estate? Another example, Steve, you just said to me a few seconds ago, why do you do these things? Why do you put the extras in? Do you know anywhere else you can fly in the helicopter pad to buy a supercar? I don't think so. No, I don't know anywhere else. So it's part of a creation. You know, it's a bit like the lake. We have a we have a, a lake here We photographs some the cars underwater. Your the, the car's sit on the top and, and there's a bridge a few inches under the water. That's the secret, by the way. So that the bridge secures it. And I remember calling my son Carl about three o'clock in the morning because that's when I get my best ideas is the middle of the night. And uh, I said, Carl, I've got an idea. He said, what is it, Dad? I said, we could put cars in the middle of the lake. He said, have you been drinking? I said, well, I've had a couple. He said, Dad, he out speaking and he put the phone down. Next morning, I got the engineers down, and they said, I said, "Could this be possible? Could be done?" He said, it "Can be done, Tom. Very expensive. It was the best money we ever spent in our life, because it's unique, and nobody else can do that. And then photographs are known all over the world. Whenever you see a car sitting on water with the branding behind it, there's only one person, or one company, that can do that. That's Tom Hartley."
0: I was on your website uh, just the other day, and I think I saw a McLaren Black One P1 sitting on that on that bridge. Uh, Things up for 1.3 million pound at the moment, something yeah. like that. Mm. I think it was on, on on your website recently. Anyway, the question that the inner kid
1: wants to ask you is: Has any of the cars ever fallen into the lake? No, we have it. We have one. We always have a person who drives on. I, you have to say that. We always have a person who drives on uh, once or twice in the earlier days, because I'm um, I'm a freak about being dedicated. I I've come back from parties or from having a drink, and I've actually taken cars out there. On the lake, and there was one time, only one time, um, I took a Ferrari on there. It was a Ferrari Enzo, and uh, I was on my own. And uh, my wife said I shouldn't have done it anyway. We have a runway light that goes on there. And obviously, as I said, I took the gamble, put it on there. And when I got out, when I opened the door to come out of the car, I actually put my foot and I fell in the lake. So that was an experience that uh, we stopped doing that on my own without one person. So we now do it with two people all the time. But that was the early days. But a car has never fallen in the lake now. Talking about crashes,
0: obviously being in the car industry, it comes with a terrorist territory, right? Um, is it true that you did crash a Pulse, I think Pulse Turbo once, and then when you
1: left in a van, you actually forgot that you left a case full of cash in there. Absolutely. Back in the seventies, that's how you used to buy cars. You buy cars, you have cash, you pay for them, and that's what you've done. It was cash related. The world's gone crazy. I mean, we're in London just now. We also have a house in London, as you know, and I spent a lot of time here. And, you know, everything's now paid on a card. Most places you go, they use a piece of plastic card and you've got to pay on it. And it's not the way I like to pay, if I can help it. But unless you pay that way, you can't get by in life. So back in them days, that's what you did. And th- that particular accident you're, you're talking about was at the same time when my world was falling apart, um, losing deposit, losing money abroad, um, sorting customers out. I hadn't got married at that time. In fact, I was travelling to see my fiancée at the time, uh, who's now my wife, Priscilla. And I come out of a very bad bend, and it was concentration. I lost the car. It was a new post Turbo, and I actually ended up going on its roof. I come out of the car, so shocked. And and I was like 18 year old at the time, and uh, frustrated and upset and uh, frightened, all that. This was one of the experiences when I was writing my book. It was one of the downsides, that story you're talking about. And I stood on the road and I said, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And I seen a van come by and waved it down. I said, to him, I said, just, that's my car, i just put it in the field there by mistake. I said, Are you okay? And I was a bit shaky. He said, Jump in. I said, I need to go about two miles to uh, my in law, who's my in law's night. I had to go to their their property. And I got in the van, and after travelling about five minutes, I realised that I, I didn't have the case with me. And I said to the guys, excuse me, I said, You're gonna have to take me back. And I'm saying, sh- I said, please, please take me back. And said, I said, calm down. What is-? I said, please, you've got to take me back. He said, why? Well, I said, I've left a case back there. He said, what's in the case? I said, and I thought, what do I say? I said, some important documents for my job, and if I don't get them, because to be fair, you know, a hundred thousand quid in a case in nineteen seventy nine, um, two decades of I've never seen in my life. We, we, they talk about now. You walk up and down this town here, and for a, something like this, they're they just take your arm off. You know, let alone back in 1979. So they took me back. I got the case. And they, and I think they knew at the time what was in the case. Because one guy hinted, he said, I'll tell you what, the very valuable papers they are. Well, they must be very valuable papers. I never commented. But yeah, that was that was one of my downturns and my downfalls and my bad experiences. But that was the truth, yeah. Um,
0: life has definitely changed so much. And as you mentioned about the cash scenario, um, it was... It must have been a common place just to walk in, buy a car for fifty grand in cash, and then walk away. Well, there weren't from many the cars.
1: There weren't many cars around then for fifty grand. Believe it or not. Okay. That's another good point. You see, that's the young young blood coming out in you and the young people. In the 19 in 1979, um, a, a new Rolls Royce um, uh, would have just been about thirty thousand pounds. That was a new Rolls Royce. Um, most Ferraris are the similar price. So there weren't a car. There weren't many cars back in that time. New cars. There were more than 30 40,000 pounds there were very few 50 in 1979
0: yeah so uh, obviously paying cash is is not a thing anymore I, I i think i think you can take up up to about 9,000 pounds and and afterwards you, you can't do it but what about payments in like cryptocurrency bitcoin or have you ever done swaps where people give you art or yeah, watches for cars uh, uh, d-
1: just for the record and just to be quite clear we don't actually touch cash on the estate now. I'm not contradicting myself or I'm turning it around. The way the business is today, uh, You know, I think up to 9,500 you're allowed to take. We won't even take 9,500 cash on the Hartley estate. We'll take it and tell the customer if he wants to go to the bank and pay in an our bank. That's what we'll do. We're happy to do that. In answer to your second question, um, my son Carl, he's, he's got a great love for watches and we quite often take watches in part exchange. In my... my um, journey in the car business we've taken boats taken yachts we've taken property so we, we will take an asset and get a value on it we'll take art but we'll, we'll get underwritten by an art dealer uh, and share and share the views and work together that's another thing that's quite unique about buying from us that's what you're able to do well, so obviously being in the art industry myself I'm, I'm intrigued what type of art have you taken in do you know um I can't mention the name to a particular dealer because I don't I have confidentiality rights. Um, we, 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 it's like it's like a footballer who turns up to our showroom. I'm not into football. I wouldn't know the name of that footballer. He would mean nothing to me. It was a piece of art. We tend to go and value it. He gives a price. We do a deal and let him have the piece of art. So I, I you know, I, I can't completely say what it was in particular, but it has been good, high quality art. Yeah. So
0: I've interviewed your son, Cole, and I've got to to say, now talking to you for the first time properly, you're both very, very similar. You've got very, very strong personality, very, very confident, actually quite witty. And I'm going to read you out something which I found very, very funny. And it's, um, I I just like his humour. So Cole put up a post a little little while ago, and uh, it was a picture of a police car and a, a Bugatti Veyron in front, the silver one, which I believe he used to own. The officer says, do you know why, why I have pulled you over? And Cole replies, because I've let you.
1: Mm. Well, this, it's amazing what, what bread in you comes out you, because I'll tell you why. Um, that is quite witty. When I was caught my wife, this is an incredible story. When I was caught quoting uh, my wife, she used to live at a place called Langer, and we used to go to Leicester, and there's a, there's a road there called the A46. And I was driving a 450 SLC Mercedes at the time, a brand new one. 450 SLC Mercedes, and uh, I was about 17-year-old, and I'm driving down the the carriageway, and I'm doing 147 miles an hour. When I get to the roundabout at Leicester, when it comes into the city centre, there's a, there's a row of police cars across the road, and as he pulls me over, there's two police cars a few seconds later who'd been chasing me that I wasn't aware of or on the route for me. So I pulled over and the, the guy said to me, um, he said, you know, we've been trying to get hold of you for the last two miles. And I said, we should get some faster cars. And it's amazing. When I say, heard about that quote, it was amazing how, I, how that had happened to me back in 1979. Um, It would have been 1980 to be exact. And I went to court and uh, the police officer read this comment out to the judge. He said, what did Mr Hartley say? So he told us to get some faster cars, your honour. So of course, I only apologised for, for making such a statement, but it was the truth. If they, couldn't stop, if they couldn't stop me and the police force, need some faster cars. Anyway, I got uh, some points and the situation I never forgot.
0: So, uh, Bugatti, uh, you guys have sold all types of different cars from La Ferraris to Konas eggs to Pagani's, etc. Bugatti, what's your, what's your take on Bugatti as a brand and also driving something like a Bugatti Veyron?
1: I'm personally not a fan of Bugatti, personally myself, uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, I think it's very extortionate. I'm very old school. I, I like a penny for a penny, a pound for a pound. I like value for money. I like things that no matter what I want to do in life, I'll do it because of my profile, if I feel it's worth doing, but to spend three or four five million, four million pounds or five million pounds, some of these models, um, you've got cars that are as good. I um, can give you the same pleasure, the same thrill for, for less money. And, and, I'm, and I'm not sure that the servicing uh, of these cars should be in the thousands, tens of thousands of pounds. Um, after saying that, it's the ultimate car to own. If you have more money than sense, you should have uh, a Bugatti, that's what... Um, and some people will, will be a bit put up with that statement for me, but I'm entitled to my opinion. And for me, I personally wouldn't own a Bugatti and ride one, that's my personal opinion. In fact, I've never owned a personal car in my life that I could call my car ever, which is quite unique because going back to the statement, everything I've got is for sale. I couldn't get married to a car and be so passionate about a car to keep it because it's it's business driven, profit orientated. Yeah. So an answer to the question, Bugatti's a great car, wouldn't be for me. We sell more of them than any independent dealer in the UK, possibly in Europe. And uh, and we'll continue to do that. I don't buy cars because I like them. I buy cars because I can see a profit in them. Mm. And Bugatti just happens to be one of them. So, okay. Out of all the brands, which one would you say is at the pinnacle of its game? You can't. Ferrari's the leaders, as simple as that. You know, for me, um, I bought and sold Ferraris all my life. Uh, I was once asked, if you read my book, I was once asked by the chairman to leave the show at Geneva Motor Show, leave the stand because they were launching the La Ferrari at the time. And I didn't have to leave that stand, but for respect for the for the company, I choose to leave the stand because I was just about to launch the car and he was frightened that I was going to meet some of the owners of the cars that were coming and of course they would know who I was. So as I said to you, he said, would you mind? Yes, not at all. I said, I'll make one thing clear to you. I don't need to leave. I'm only leaving from respect for the brand and I'm going to make another statement to you. I promise you I'll sell the first second hand La Ferrari in the world when it comes to market and I did. I did.
0: Is it true, and I think Carl took this this call, is it true that once an 11-year-old boy called up Tom Hartley, the organization, and bought a Lamborghini?
1: Yes, he did. That story's a lot longer than that. That story goes to a lot deeper uh, deals than that. But that, from the start of that story, again, it's the mindset of my son Carl and my son Tom who were brought up in the business. They would do these things only because that's the way they were at one time. You know, Carl would make phone calls many times. I'd tell him to make phone calls and ask questions about cars that were for sale. People would know it was a kid they were talking to, and he'd know how he'd, be, he'd get treated. he hadn't forgot that. So he took the call, and apparently I wasn't there. He took the call, and it was about 20 minutes long. And a, car, a kid asked all the questions about the car, and Carl said to him at the end, how old are you? He said, I'm 11. Carl said, that's good. And the kid said to him, what do I have to do to secure this car? He said, well, you're going to have to get uh, somebody to give me a credit card. He said, you can't give me a credit card, but you can get somebody to give me a credit card and and I'll take it off the mark. He said, I'll get my mum to phone you. Sure enough, 10 minutes later, his mum called and she said to Carl, you spoke to my son. Carl said, yes. He said, and I spoke to him with respect because I can remember what it used to be like when I was his age. And I'm asking you, Steve, how many people would have spoke to that kid for 25 minutes on the phone? Not many. Did I put the phone down? Okay. So Carl got the deposit from the wife, uh, from his mother sorry, and then the husband and wife visited the Hartley estate with that kid to pick up the Lam- to pick up the Lamborghini. Carl wasn't there at the time and the father started asking me about Bugattis. He said, Tommy, he said, I said, and I gave him the same answer I've just given you. He said, well, I'm trying to buy a very rare Chiron at the moment. I said, really? And I knew the car. I knew where the car was and it stuck with a certain dealer for eight months for sale in their showroom. Can't mention the dealer. This guy lived one mile from that showroom, okay. So I said, would you buy that car? He said, yeah, I said, I can buy that car from the owner. He said, well, if you can put a deal together, they will have it, it's going to be 10 minutes. I phoned the owner, I said, if that Bugatti deal still got your car on the show? he said, yeah, I said, yeah. I said, how much you want from us from it today. He gave me a price, I said, I'll have it. When it the gas, I said, the guy said, I just bought that car for X, Y, Z, because I wanted, we were going to buy the car for stock anyway. When I got in that position been there for eight months and he said okay yes, so that's what i paid for it we want a fair profit on it which he had no problem doing he had the car that was on the saturday he had the car in his house on monday monday morning the essence of that story is two two points to that story the dealer who had the car oh i missed a point out he went in to the dealership who had the car because he was talking about that car and nobody would come and talk to him a pair of jeans on a t-shirt and nobody come and talk to him. So there's, there's a lot of points to take from that story when you start from the beginning. My son Carl gave him respect and time to the call as we do with any call that we get. The fact that a deal at less than a mile from where he lived wouldn't give him the time of day and he came come in and bought the car from us.
0: Is it true that once you stripped off, went into a sauna to close an individual on
1: a Ferrari deal? No, absolutely. I've done. I've done... Lots of things like that over the years. Uh, out, back in the 70s, in this town in particular, I'd flagged cars down uh, that scene I wanted to buy. And it got to the extent where it become very, very well known in the country. People, when they stop me, they say, it's a bit like when I walk up and down this town now, most people know who I am uh, over the years of buying luxury performance cars and driving them cars. At that time, they didn't. But it didn't take long for them to catch on. And yeah, I'd stopped them. But this particular time, i seen a Ferrari outside, uh, a Tesla Rossa outside the Holiday Inn in Leicester. And I, and I found out who the car was. And he said, he's, he's in the spa having a sauna. So I stripped off and I got and they at this guy. He gave me a description of him. I thought, that's him there. So I said, are you the guy that owns the Ferrari outside? He said, yeah, I do. I said, do you want to sell it? He said, no. I said, well, at the double price, surely you'd sell it if you got more than you paid for it. He said, Well, you would pay me more than what I paid for my car. He said, how do you know how much I paid for it? I said, I'm assuming you paid less price. And back at that time, it was, uh, it would have been just just over a hundred and, well, it would have been just about a hundred, pounds. And I gave him 165,000 for it. And we'd done a deal. Because Test Ross at that time was selling for double bubble, double the price. And he and, had uh, uh, done the invoice within the reception. At that time in the in the back in them days I had to walk to the bank and get a banker's draft. You didn't do bank transfers in them days. You used to have a check for the bankers' draft. I gave the bankers' draft and i took the Ferrari. That's a very true story. Amazing.
0: So since you've been in this industry, and it seems like in in, in the last few years, like a few decades, you've there's there's been the, the, the rise of these other brands coming through. We've already spoken about Bugatti, even though it's an old brand. Pagani. What's your take on Pagani?
1: Fantastic car. Probably the best supercar in the world. Um, Ironically enough, back in the 70s, I can't mention the name of this deal because I don't want to disrespect him. Um, he referred to it as a hairdresser's car. Uh, I'd done, done an article with um, Evo magazine at the time. It was a great article about supercars. Uh, so much so, the article was so successful, the Sunday Times ran the same article about a month later. And in the article, the particular dealer referred to uh, a Pagani as a hairdresser's car. I thought, how stupid, thinking the knowledge I thought you had in the car business to call a Pagani a hairdresser's car. And we were buying and selling at that time, the first second-hand car dealers in, in the country, and it's definitely in the UK, to buy and sell Pagani's. And... Um, Horatio, the boss of, of the company, is a good friend of ours. Wherever we are in the world, whether it's uh, Pebble Beach in in America or it's um, Villa d'Este in, in, in Italy, he always takes the time out to come and say hello and invites us to come on the stand and spend time with us. And most recently, we we spent some time with him in Bond Street here. They came over to do something special uh, with the brand, a clothes brand that he's working with. So there are a lot of reasons why I think we a great car. It is a great car, full stop as far as supercars go. Um and also because he's such a hands-on I can relate to him being such a hands-on person in manufacturing. Mm. He walks up and down the, the the floor seven well most days of the week. Um and he and he knows everything that's happening and he's done a great thing with that product. Mm. Um Kona's Egg. I know there's
0: been a few comments made by yourself in social media before about them, and also Cole said to me on, he was sitting there when we'd done the podcast. He said, "Back in the day, you never, you didn't even know if it was going to turn on. or There was always these warning signs coming up, but they have moved mountains since then." What's your initial opinion about Kona Egg as a brand today?
1: Yeah, we well, she, Carl can quote that because it's in his era. But I can remember lots of Ferraris and, and lots of Lamborghinis, Kuntashis. I can remember I when I used to wake up in the morning. Well, when I used to wake up in the morning, did they start? No, you know that th- sometimes it didn't work. So, but now I think Lamborghini is a fantastic brand, uh, reliable. Your wife could drive one to Sainsbury's, which a lot of people won't understand. And in answer to Connors egg, yes, um, they've had the problems, they had the issues in the earlier days. That's no secret. But I think now their actual product is a great product. I think they've got it right. But again, it's learning from mistakes. You know, um, that's, that's what happens in life, mm. and, and especially with manufacturing. Mm. But they, they had the they had the face problems. We've had Konzags who wouldn't start, and they're the ones that Carl can remember. Um, but like I said to you, I, I can go back to super brands, Ferrari, Lamborghini. Um, and, and in fairness to Porsche, I can't remember any Porsche. and That's just how good they are. I can't remember having any issues with any Porsche ever built in 50 years of my life. Any issues with any Porsche. testament to the fact that they're solid cars. Listen, you're talking from a guy who's bought and sold them for that time. So I think I'd have a good idea and a good statement to make. I think if I made that statement, I know what I was talking about. Mm. And I've never known a Porsche car to have a problem other than a flat battery. Um,
0: mentioned about Kona's Bugatti. Uh, Pagani I mean one of my favourite cars I've never been in one but I'd love to is a Pagani Zonda I know there's different variations of them I love the fact that some of them are still a lot of them are still manual I think that's really really cool And am I right in saying they're AMG engines absolutely yeah Yeah. Um, these cars seem to be going up in value astronomical amounts of money I mean you're talking about 10 million 20 million for, for these cars where where would that end? Like could it keep on
1: going up? Well, I had this conversation when there were two million. And it's it's just how the world is today. Um, people are, are treating some of these cars as pieces of art. So they're not buying them to jump in them every day and use them. They're buying them because they put the money into an asset that in a particular model there'd be limited numbers, therefore they can't be duplicated. So it's quite rare and rarity always drives one thing in life and that's price. supply and demand and that's just how it is. Yeah. It's nothing more, nothing less.
0: So if I had a million pounds spare to invest into a car today, what would you advise me to buy?
1: Um, There's quite a few cars out there. To be fair to McLaren, I think the McLaren um, P1 is is something that's um, grown in value. I mean, the LaFerrari and, and Porsche 918 is also catching up there. They, they've gone up a lot in the last 12, 12 months or so. So, you know, there are brands that are coming in and you don't have to have a million pounds to buy a great investment today. You can buy some Jaguar models and some, some, uh, some even earlier Porsche models. Lots of brand earlier models that are coming in. Uh, I mean, a, a, an example I heard of an RS Cosworth sold the other day for 350000
0: You know, an RS Cosworth. That's crazy. Well, an, um, the Escort. Yeah. Wow. Escort, RS Cosworth. That's a
1: great car. Incredible. Yeah. With $350,000. is crazy. Mm. Crazy sums of money. Mm. How much were they brand new? Oh, probably about uh, $15,000. 15, That's mind-blowing. Yeah. Totally mind-blowing. So, um, what's the most expensive car that you guys have sold? Well, we don't like to talk about that on record, but it goes into tens of millions, and so much sensitive was the, the contract. Not even my wife knows the answer to answer that question, nor does Carl's wife. Uh, we, we can't divulge that, but me and Carl know. Uh, can I ask what type of car it is? Ferrari. Any model? No, I can't tell you that. <laughs> that would be a straight giveaway. Okay. But it was in tens of millions. Okay, tens of millions. It was well. It was documented and recorded. It was. Uh, it was released in the press and and it was talked about in the marketplace. But we're not allowed to talk about it.
0: Yeah, understood. Understood. Listening to your your book, it was fantastic and uh, very very inspiring. And um, there's there's lots to take from it. And if it, it, if someone listening to this today hasn't downloaded it and listened to it, they they need to. It's a really really good business book. Um, I discovered that you actually have other businesses. Yeah. And you got it in the uh Park Home. Uh, Leisure Homes and Park Homes. They're like, my pe-
1: they're like my pension fund. I have uh, a Tom Hartley Leisure Homes and Tom Hartley Park Homes.
0: Why did you go into
1: them? Because I had knowledge. My, my family, my father was in that business. He, he, he ended up brand, expanding into that business in the 70s. And my um, wife's family were in that business. And together we had the knowledge of how that business works. I'm not one of them who believes... They should be a jack of all trades and king of, na- of none. And um, when you know what you're doing and, and you've got knowledge of it, you should go with what you, what, what you believe in. And again, the Tom Hartley Park Homes, Tom Hartley Leisure Homes brand is very much like the car brand, but it's not as big, obviously. Because, um, I say not as big, we have eight sites, and um, we have the best uh, recognized luxury lodges for self accommodation in the UK, um, that are controlled by a company called Horse Seasons they do the bookings, and um, we've just opened a very exclusive development in Marker Harbour, a place called Medbourne in Marker Harbour, where we're selling homes, and people's way of having holidays now change, you know, with all the terrorist acts around and all the plane delays, guys are actually wanting to have a second home somewhere, the location we've just opened is a perfect example, you drive from London, you can drive there in an hour and a half, and you're, you're in countryside, nothing but beautiful countryside with a hot tub, um, Nice accommodation, and we're not talking about a lot of money. Well, not a lot of money compared to the people who are buying uh, the cars that they're buying three hundred thousand pounds. But as your second home on this estate, gated area, and it, you could be anywhere in the world on a nice sunny day. But yet you're only an hour and a half from London. That's yeah. Medbourne Edge. That, that, that particular development is called Medbourne Edge. And you still got ambitions to grow outside of your business. My, my wife's giving me a threat that I need to stop. Um, carrying on with these things although I'm driven by it and my daughter and daughter a couple of years ago we were having dinner at a table and uh, I was on the phone buying a new project and uh, while I was eating my dinner and my daughter said to me she said dad how much do you want? And I looked at her and I thought you know what's a good question? Because what a lot of people don't understand an entrepreneur never knows how much he wants and the question you asked me earlier about my wealth I haven't got a clue how much money I've got I know it's a lot. In anybody's imagination, I know it's a lot. I can only go by what people tell me, accountants and investors who want to talk about the wealth management of the firm, Tom Harley and Tom Harley itself. So I had to explain to her, so I said, you see, your father's driven by success and achieving things. And that question to me 30 years ago would have been easier to answer because I said, I want the money, I need the money. But I don't think about the money side of it now because that'll come naturally. And most entrepreneurs who are at this level with the profile that I have in life, whatever business they're in, it isn't about the money. The money becomes secondary, mm. but you do know the money's gonna come. Mm. So
0: every good business person I've ever interviewed, they're really good at selling because they're passionate about their brands, their products, their service, their system, etc. What defines you as a good salesperson?
1: Well, you see, what's quite unique about Tom Hartley as well, and 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 my sons, and again, it's it's in the cultures, and the bloods, and the genes, is we do, we can do both, we buy and we sell, and that's quite a, a gift to have, to be able to do both, and I can't give too many secrets away in how we sell, but the quality of the product that we sell, and the brand name for trust you're almost there if something comes to buy a car of Tom Hartley you know I'm going to be there tomorrow been there for the last 50 years good chance I'm going to be there tomorrow very good chance I'm going to be there tomorrow and they come to a 50 acre estate where there's two showrooms, one with three floors one with a single floor 75 cars under the under a roof the guy lives there the other owner lives there which is my son Carl it's just a great feeling to have it's called security trust belief and feeling comfortable that's a big asset before you start talking, having that on its own rights. Um, and more importantly, I think the crunch line is value for money. Because we have access to family wealth independently, doing million pound deals and 10 million pound deals for cars for margins that other people can't afford to do because they're either borrowing the money to do it. and Therefore, they're not actually making profit and they pay the, the loans off. We'll, we'll take them deals because we don't borrow money, we're dealing with their own money.
0: So i asked Carl this question, um, doing my research, you guys have got over 100 million in liquid cash ready for a deal. Is that, that true? That,
1: that would be a far underestimation. I'm sorry, Stephen. I don't want to sound boastful or bragful on this, on this um, podcast because that's not the sort of person I am. With TH, you see what you get and I say it as it is and if some people don't like it, that's too bad. But 100 million would be a very underestimated value in cash that we have to buy cars. It'd be, it'd be tens of hundreds of millions. That's good.
0: So uh, would you say that that gives you the ultimate advantage over Absolutely. many other organisations? I, I wouldn't
1: say it's a fact. And and the market knows that. You know, the market knows, if a guy wants to unload a car tomorrow for a million pounds, and he wants it very quickly, and he wants like, you know, no, I've got to go to the boardroom and speak to the, the investors. I'll have to speak to the bank, see if I can raise the money. We, we can do them deals in a two minute telephone, telephone conversation. And it can be paid two minutes afterwards. So it can take five minutes to buy and sell that car for a million pounds or more, and that is an advantage we do have in the marketplace. So, if you lost everything
0: today, what would you do? How would you how would you get up
1: get get up off off the floor and rebuild? Well, that would be very difficult because I'm I'm only sitting. I'm sixty two now, and I don't think I'd have the same energy. Despite I don't know if you feel I have a lot of energy now anyway for a sixty two year old. As I said, I only need four hours sleep of a night time. Um, I don't know if I'd be able to have the same energy to do the same things again. And I think today it'd be more difficult because of how the world is. Very more difficult to my days. What would you do? I'd go back to the car auction, buying cars. And buying cars from private sellers and start all over again, go back to the drone board. Once you've been to the drone board twice, the third time shouldn't be a problem. But touch wood, I don't see any... um, And I say that with respect, because you can't ever guarantee you don't know what's around the corner tomorrow. Uh, I have a few health problems. I have two aneurysms in my head, which is uh, which is a problem I have to uh, bear and I think about every day of my life. Um, some people who are told that sort of thing in life, they have to have medication to be able to cope with it. But for me, it's a good thing that I know because there's certain things in life I can do and I won't do because of the two aneurysms. And an aneurysm is not one of them things, when they bust, you fix it. When they bust, you die. You know, you just, you die. You don't get over it, you're dead. So um i have that to live with but it doesn't stop me doing what i do and carrying on doing what i want to do in the, in the way of business terms um we spoke upstairs in the
0: gallery and um you mentioned a, a few restaurants and you you, you quoted there you're basically your second office scotts yeah. restaurant um i think you mentioned another one earlier there was Scalini's, Scalini's, Sc- yeah. fantastic italian yeah. restaurant over in
1: chelsea isn't it like yeah. knightsbridge yeah. way
0: um, so when you go into these restaurants, are you actively looking to do a deal?
1: It comes naturally. I sit at a table and, and, and I'll be approached and say, Hi, uh, Tom, I'm a great fan of yours. I'll follow you on Instagram. Or I'll follow you on Twitter and social media. Or I'll just be, um, you know, hi, Tom, do you mind if I ask you a few questions about a car? And I don't go in any restaurant in London. That doesn't happen. And the owners of the restaurants, I went to San Carlos, uh, Senor Sass last night in Knightsbridge, nice with my wife and my two grandsons, Tom and, um, Tom and William. And uh, the three or four different, well, in fact, the table next door to me was a guy who sells watches, and he made himself well known uh, known to me and said he follows me and he, he loves what I do. And it's a great line these people always give me. Um, it's an unbelievable. It always starts off with, I love what you do. I love your drive. And I have a little phrase that I created about 12 months ago, um, keeping people motivated in life, getting out of bed at eight o'clock in the morning, not to be a lazy bastard. And you know, the biggest majority of the people who that I acknowledge, acknowledge that are super wealthy themselves. Keeps them on the toes. It makes them think, you know what? He's right. I didn't get what I was today by lying in bed at eight o'clock, after eight o'clock. And I definitely didn't get what I've got today by lying in bed after nine o'clock, which is a pact.
0: So being in business, in the car business, building this brand, we've spoke about there's been lots of changes, cash being eradicated, new brands coming in, the values of these cars are going through the roof. But I think the biggest change is the uh, age of social media. Absolutely. How important is social media to you and your brand
1: today? It's very important uh, for a number of reasons. And you know, I'm not a techno, I'm, I'm used to technology. I don't have a computer on my desk. I wouldn't know how to put a mouse on the connection. I just don't do it. I can't do it. But for social media, I think it brings people together. Uh, listen, you, you get some sad people out there who've got jealous, well, more jealous than sad, who put a stupid comment on something you, you, you posted. Spotify ducks back to me that, you know, I'm used to that. I've had plenty of kicks between the legs and I've just got all my life doesn't bother me at all and when you're up there you're up there to be shot down that's what people will do Mm. and um but i i do believe i've got loyal followers who know the brand believe in the brand and believe in me and and that's what's great and that's priceless trust trust is priceless whether it's on social media or it's in business it's priceless
0: do you know um there's there's a lot of youtube uh supercar sort of influences shmi 150 and there's so many different ones i mean mr jww um what is your take on that you know the the, the youtuber the car youtubers do you think it's good for the car industry or do you think it's a little bit unusual
1: no, i think it's great um a couple of names you just mentioned we know quite well um and i think they do a good job uh, in fact i have it all the time when i'm driving in london i get out of the car i've got car supporters Coming to me and see see me get out of a car in the restaurants you've just mentioned, or wherever I visit in London, the Dorchester Hotel or the Ritz, um yeah, um the other day I was parked outside, um, uh, Claridge's, excuse me, and um, two young kids were visiting from Australia, and they come up talking to me and they were car sporters, in Australia and they were doing some sport around Mayfair, and yeah I think yeah I think it's good and I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I think they do, they, they educate people to know some things about cars that like they wouldn't have known had they been doing what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Did they ever come to the Hartley Estate? Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, good. MJW in particular. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. He is. I met him on the Gumball Rally last year. He's been on the podcast. <laughs> nice, on social nice, nice guy. Yeah, really nice, nice guy.
1: Nice guy. Again, comes from a, an old school family. And I think, yeah, I like his morals, I like he's... Um, do mean, i think he's a nice person yeah I yeah think, i think he's as good as any if not the best
0: yeah so your business and i would say very similar to the art market even to the watch market there's a lot of cross-pollination there's a lot of very very similar sort of high profile people that buy all these assets and i believe off the back end of these purchases other opportunities are born so like you know when you're do doing deals for I don't know, a two million pound car, a supercar, for example. Have you ever had other opportunities that have just opened up to you because you're dealing with that one individual buying that supercar?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Can like you share anything? Um Well, in particular buying property and buying people who have bought cars from I've ended up buying mobile home parks from park home estates that I wouldn't have bought had I not bought cars from them. But being able to manipulate that situation and matter of fact make it happen is also a gift in life. A lot of people see it here, but they don't see it there. It's called vision. A vision, focus, belief, dream. It's all, all. there's many words, but they all, they all arrive at the same thing. It's being able to see an opportunity. Because some people can't see an opportunity because they don't know an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Very true. That's quite unique. Yeah.
0: You know, so you and Cole, like I said earlier, are quite similar personalities and both very, very driven, successful alpha men. But there must be times where you might clash. Does that, that ever happen?
1: Do you know, Carl's um, my best friend as well as being my son. And we, despite the fact that we live about 65 or 70 yards from each other on the Harley estate, we're so focused and dedicated to what we do, we don't see a lot of each other. Carl's um, office is on the ground floor of the new showroom, and mine's on the top floor. And I'm walking up and down the showroom all the time. We we'll share, we always share um, uh, car purchases together. We we'll always talk about them together. Um, if there's a situation, as I've got older, if there's a situation being a father, it's very difficult. I, I, my sons have had it very hard because to follow the tracks of the footsteps of Tom Hartley, that was successful back in the '70s and '80s, and was a well-known established name. I mean, Top Gear filmed me, BBC Top, Top Gear filmed me. I was the first independent subject to ever be filmed by Top Gear. In, in the late 80s, uh, early 90s. And so the name was very famous back then. So the upside oh sorry, the upside of that was great for the brand. The downside was my sons had to prove themselves in their own rights. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful and I feel so proud of the both of them that they were able to do that. You know, they're very successful men in their own rights. They do their own thing and they're very well known and people know, they've watched them grow up as teenagers and th- th- they weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouth, they were born with a plastic spoon in their mouth. Uh, they can't feel sorry for having a father who was so famous and successful in the car business that happened to give them an opportunity. Now, they took advantage of that opportunity and they made it work for themselves and good on them. Because I've seen lots of entrepreneurs build businesses and empires very successful and their families have ruined them. In my case, Carl help helped expand the Tom Hartley band where it is now because my other son does his own thing. And together, um, your lifetime achievement award that you receive, I was given the coat of arms for South Derbyshire to keep on the Hartley estate, which is an unbelievable honour. Unbelievable honour for the local council. to come and say, look, we want you to keep this on the Hartley estate for life. I'm a car dealer. I'm a car dealer. Hmm. But I get these honours. And as I said to you earlier, no disrespect to my peers show me somebody else gets them honest but that's what being 50 years in the business does for you
0: and um, Tom Hartley Jr I read that he was working with you guys for a long time but now he's come away why?
1: well um my son Tom he he introduced the business in 2008 my son Tom was the one responsible for introducing the classic car sales to the car business to the, the firm Tom Hartley and he was a partner in there at that time and and uh, Tom's a little bit different personality to Carl, the, the two different personalities. Tom's a bit more laid back, a bit more calm. He's not as fast, not as energised. You know, he's more relaxed with things in life and he's, he's a cool operator. Um, there wouldn't be any better operator in, in the classic uh, restoration of classic uh, cars, such as Ferrari, Lamborghini, that do the job that he does. And as I said, you're going back to the answer to your question, he introduced him. We enjoyed that. We enjoyed that market for about six years together. 2014 and of course he's got a son himself called Tom and he had a passion uh, a real passion for restoration of buying cars and spending the time and it's a long-term policy deal that is doing it and he felt like he wanted to branch out and do things on his own and and that's good and you know what at the time it was very hard for me to accept and, and to understand best thing he could have done best thing for all round so that's good that he done that it was good for the family, it was good for him, and 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 he's and I see he's done a great job. He's done doing a great job of what he does, mm. and I'm very proud of that.
0: So t- taking you out the business, okay? Uh, I know you work seven days a week. I know you're very very passionate about doing deals, but you know what do you do for a little bit of downtime? I know you mentioned about glass of wine, play a bit of golf, etc. Give me an insight to like what you do when you travel or when you enjoy yourself.
1: Go, I play. I'm a keen golfer. Uh, I play golf. Um, I'm not a 19-hole golfer. I don't play golf I spend the same time in the bar. That's not me. And to be fair, I'm doing deals on the golf course. I'm buying and selling cars on the golf course, even if it's from my mobile phone. Uh, I tend to try and keep that off unless I'm playing with someone I'm doing business with. We can't help have a conversation. Uh, recently, I was in Barbados, and I stayed there at the Westmoreland estate there. A friend of mine owns it called John Morfitt, a great, a fantastic entrepreneur. And... um. um a lot of my customers, our clients, live on the Westmoreland. So whilst I was on holiday, uh, I'd done three or four deals in the 10 days I was away um, in, in, in Barbados. That was only two weeks ago. And so golf has answered your question. I, I enjoy food. I like nice food. Uh, you don't want me to come in your restaurant if things are not right. You definitely do not want me to come in your restaurant. But the restaurants you mentioned, Scotts, Scalini's, uh, San Carlo's, Trying to attack. the know when I come in there. They know the sort of person they're dealing with. They know how quick I like to be served. They know how I like things. And and I'm I'm one for routine. I don't like. I like to go where I'm going to know how I'm going to be treated. And and that's what's important to me.
0: You mentioned about not going into a restaurant. Going into a restaurant, and if it's not up to scratch, you're going to let them know about it. Oh, listen, like, I, I, will you. Are you? Are you that direct with people?
1: You know, it's amazing. I've done. I've done a. I've done i a, a, um, I've done a statistic on this with friends, personal statistic. And it's just how some people are made. I know lots of people who sit in a restaurant and eat food if it was cold, if it came to them cold, but they wouldn't open their mouth up and say something about it. There are them people out there. I've stayed in hotels where there's been a problem with hot water, and I've asked the same people on the lift, have they got a problem with hot water? And there have been foreign people, Germans, French, whatever, and they've said, yes, but it's okay. For me, it's not okay it's got to be what it's got to be what you expect my expectations it's like the expectation I give somebody if they come to buy a supercar from us it's take everything's taken care of because that's what they're paying for as far as I'm concerned standards 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 and today people just don't talk well well, I'll speak my mind I think there's no secret whatever it is in life if it hurts you or it hinders you or it embarrasses you and it needs to be said I'll say it and 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 to go out for a meal and not have what you expect to pay for and not open your mouth about it to me, it's stupid.
0: I totally respect that. And I'm on the on the same mindset. Just thinking about someone else listening to this conversation. There are a lot of people that get offended very quickly, mm-hmm. especially on social media. What's your message to those people?
1: Well, you know, unless you're, I call it hard and hard-skinned in life, being successful is not an easy thing to be. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of people out there would like to be successful very quick, but they don't want the things that are tagged on behind well, that's not that's not good. Being successful, there's a lot of things tag on behind that are not good things mm. that you have to be able to deal with. You know, the the world's full of nothing wrong with having a dream. It's a great thing to have a dream, but also be prepared to be able to deal with the things that come with that dream, because there will be things come with that dream. And the, most people understood or were aware of that. They meant not want to be successful. They're happy with that 9 to 5 job, in that pay. And I've realised that is how it is most recently. People are happy. They don't want to be self-driven or self-successful because they can't deal with the things that come with that. They can't deal with it.
0: Hmm. I know you're... um, There is... You know, you you say how it is and you are who you are. Did I read read somewhere once that you got
1: censored off of Twitter because of a comment? Was that you? Uh, No, it it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. I think I I played... uh, I played um, with Twitter. What was it with Twitter? It could have been with... I don't think it was. I think it was a, a music. They warned me about playing certain music. Oh, right. Okay. And it was the real music that had been played. Right. And no, it certainly wasn't... It wasn't that. Listen, I get lots of remarks and say things on Instagram and on Twitter that get um, some negativity, but I don't care. <laughs> it's, it won't change me. I just go on with it. Yeah, good stuff. Because I get a lot more encouragement and support that I do Bad, 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 um, a bad post. And if you take the average, it uh, far out exceeds the idiots are out there that are jealous. Nothing else other than jealous.
0: And also, I think it's so important to be authentic. You know, not going to please everybody. Not everyone's going to like you. But at least if you're authentic and you're true to yourself, no one can deny you of that. There's still a lot of people out there in today's world, especially on social media, that they're imitating to be somebody else.
1: It's something I've never done in my life. And the only problem I've got as we talked about earlier is when other people try to imitate it, it be me especially with things that we create in the car business advertising statements marketing Um I recently had to phone uh, a certain dealer up the, 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 quite well-known quite well-known John Macari. I can't give you any comment <laughs> listen quite well known and, and he's not in Joe Macari's a gentleman I've got utmost much respect for him is he a traveler as well no he's Italian Joe, Joe is basically he's, he's a great guy however yeah. um. This particular person was using the the, the line, dealmate hashtag dealmaker. So um, I sent him a message first of all, and he didn't reply. And so I picked the phone up and I explained to him that I own the copyrights for the dealmaker. Nobody can use that word in the car business other than me, and us as a firm. And uh, he denied using it, and so I had to send him a copy of the post. So I put it through to him. That's there, it's there. And that certainly I got no respect for. And I said, oh, he lied, he denied it. But he's not used to deal-maker again. Because if he does, he'll sue. <laughs> that's what I told him. To conclude this
0: podcast, Tom, um, I'm very intrigued to see the next few chapters for you and also your brand. Tell me, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, how can we see it evolve? What's going to change?
1: Well, I'd like to think that my grandson was going to come part of the business, uh, Christian, which is Carl's son. But that'll be Carl's decision. It'll be Christian's decision. As far as carrying on with the family, he's about the only step down there that will be going, carrying the brand name on with Carl. I, I don't know what my energy is going to be like uh, as I get older. Just now, I'm as driven as I was when I was twelve years old. With the same drive, I might not have the same energy. My mind tells me the things I have, but my heart tells me that I haven't. Um, So we we have lots of people approach us to buy the name, the brand name, which which is priceless, we wouldn't sell it. Um, So I think we're in a situation where we can take it further if we want to. Me personally, I don't want to. If Carl wants to do that with his son and do things in life a bit different, that might come to the time when that might be the case. But just now we have... We operate for 50 acre estate. We have an office um, and a home that we live. We use from London. So we're based here for, to have a presence here. And because of technology nowadays, whether you're faced, placed in Berkeley Square or, or based on the Hartley estate, it's irrelevant. Guys, guys shop on the internet. And when you have a name that's so successful and, and achieved what the name Tom Hartley is, you're more than 50% there selling that guy that car. Mm.
0: Last question. So I came up with my own mantra uh, a few years ago when I first set up my, my first ever uh, company when I was like 24 years of age. And it goes like this, be happy, never content. Now I've got my own interpretation of what that means, but if I were to ask Tom Hartley, what does be happy, never
1: content mean to you? Well, my daughter would ask me at the dinner table, I told you about half an hour, how much do you want dad? And I had to look and explain to an entrepreneur, a proper entrepreneur Never knows how much he wants because he just keeps going on. He likes the risk and the gambles. As I also said to you earlier, for young kids out there who might be watching this podcast, you know, it's not all a blue sky. People paint success as all being a blue sky and great things. With success comes a lot of problems and you have to be able to handle them problems. And for me in the car business, uh, for us in the car business, me and Carl always compare the deals that could have got away that didn't get away because we persevered with them and we didn't give up. That's the difference. And contentment is happiness. You know, as long as you've got your health and your family are healthy, that's a big part of being successful. It's not just about how much money you've got or how much money you've made. And and when you get to a stage in life where I find myself, as I said to you, you don't think about the money, you know, asking somebody to say, your wealth? I, I haven't got a clue of my wealth. I don't know. And as I said earlier, I know it's a lot of money and I know it could be, if we take the market base, it could exceed a billion be a billion so but I don't think about that I don't need to
0: really appreciate your time on, on this wonderful Sunday hope you have a, a fantastic rest of the day I've really enjoyed the conversation and if everyone's got a lot of value from this please subscribe be happy never content and once
1: again Tom thank you very much for your time mate thank you Stephen also guys don't forget to buy the dealmaker autobiography a lot of tips in there that Stephen's mentioned today and that's why it's a bestseller honestly it's an incredible book and no other car dealer in this world of this country as a more successful book
0: there you go thank you very much and uh, I'm looking forward to a part three with you and Cole on the Hartley estate that will happen that yeah. will happen cool thank, thank you. you thank you,
1: nice thank you Stephen fun. cheers